This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Anne Sutherland, co-founder and CEO of Perennials. In the late 90s, Anne underwent a career change, going from longtime interior designer to first-time entrepreneur. Alongside her husband, outdoor furniture magnate David Sutherland, she developed a line of solution-dyed acrylics that combined the resilience of outdoor fabrics with the high style of to-the-trade design. Anne was on to something, and the success of the company helped usher in a new era in which performance fabrics are used both outdoors and in. Anne and I spoke about the rocky early days, Perennial's relationship with Restoration Hardware, and what new product represents the future of her company. This podcast is sponsored by High Point Market. There's a lot of excitement in the home furnishings world as High Point Market exhibitors prepare to present a dazzling array of new products at Fall Market October 13th through the 21st. This year, in addition to checking out all those new launches, you'll want to check out the special registration process for the new extended nine-day market schedule. So when you go to highpointmarket.org register to request your passes, be sure to read the simple instructions on how to select your primary attendance period. That's highpointmarket.org register. I'll see you there. This podcast is also sponsored by PaintZen. Designers are all too familiar with the challenge of finding a great, reliable painter or wallpaper installer. Well, PaintZen is making it easy. With a national network of experienced and vetted professionals and a dedicated project manager for every job, PaintZen simplifies the process. Wherever you are, you can get a quick and easy online quote, not just an estimate. Best of all, designers can join PaintZen's trade partner program to earn 10% back on booked projects. Visit paintzen.com to find out just how easy painting can be. That's paintzen.com. And now, on with the show. Anne, you've built an incredible business in perennials, one that really defines the whole category of performance fabrics. I know you didn't do it entirely alone. Your co-founder and husband, David Sutherland, is someone I'm sure our listeners are familiar with. I want to get into how you built the business, but... First, maybe you can share the story of how you and David first met. Or maybe we should go even further back. Should we, should we start the early days of you being an interior designer coming out of OSU? <laughs> and that's <laughs> Oklahoma State, not Ohio State. Well, we can do that, and I'll quickly go through the, yeah, <laughs> the years Yeah, just because years. I want to give people some context so that they, they understand this, this business that, that you've built over, over the years. Okay, well, a long time ago, in 1970, <laughs> I, I, be, I became an interior designer after I graduated from, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't 70. Because no, I, it wasn't 70. It was 73, because I came out of college around 73. And I got a job straight out of college as an interior designer uh, in Tulsa with... Um, a company there, stayed in it, moved around a little bit, ended up in Oklahoma City. And so I was uh, coming to Dallas, the local market, and uh, shopping down here and uh, going to the different showrooms. And the David Sutherland showroom was one of my favorites. So I met him. I knew what he looked like. And But this year, this is like uh, 1993, um, I had a 
cute client with me and we were shopping and we were having a lot of fun. And, <laughs> and, and you know, he came out and he said, hello. And we started talking and, and then he just spontaneously said, well, let's just go have lunch. So we went with him and had lunch and had a nice time. And I always tease him after that. He said, oh, I was so taken by your smile. And I said, oh, really? And well, you know, I don't know if the smile was doing it or what. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we had a great time. And, and so then we started, of course, I was shopping with him. So every time I'd come in, he would he would come out and say hi. I'm and, sure he uh, took good care of you. <laughs> and they did. They did. <laughs> and we then we started dating because both of us were, were single. So then we definitely had more reasons to get together. And when I came to Dallas, we'd see each other. And uh, so that kind of went on for you know, about a year and a half. And then we decided, well, maybe, you know, this is serious enough to, be, to maybe think about getting married one more time. So we got engaged and we stayed engaged for uh, about three years. And I decided, you know, we've been engaged long enough. So why don't we just get married? And I called him and he, I said, what are we doing next Monday? He said, well, we're going to west week out in los angeles and i said and what else and he said it's your birthday i said okay what else he said well i don't know and i said what if it's our wedding he goes what we can't get married <laughs> in six days and i said if i can work it out is that a yes and he said okay so i started with my fax machine and uh made a bunch of uh invitations and this is then, one of my favorite parts, too, that you're faxing out the invitations <laughs> to the wedding that you're putting together in six days. I, I, I love it. It was, uh, and people have asked me, well, how do you do get a wedding, you know, have a wedding in six days? And I said, you've got to have a fax machine and a credit card. You can do anything. <laughs> and that's before we had email. So yes. definitely it was harder. It was harder <laughs> then. And my, my invitations weren't very pretty because it was on that old fax paper that was so Sure, uh, it was all... <laughs> Rolled up on that curly facsimile oh, paper, I can imagine. It was bad. It was yes, really bad. I'm sure it was beautiful. Yes. And so, so yeah, sure I'm, enough, right? You you threw together a, a we, wedding, an we industry threw, wedding. Threw it together, and it ended up that I could do it at the Bel Air Hotel, which was gorgeous, uh, and, and you know, quite quite the place to be. And so we had sixty people, uh, industry people, and John Hutton was David's. Uh, best man. And I had Bo Black as my maid of honor from our showroom mm. here in, in Dallas. And uh, we had a fabulous time and it was so much fun. And so from that point on, then we were working very hard to get David Sutherland furniture into the market. And I was assisting him and John was designing for him and we were having a lot of fun, but we went to London for a, a focus, design focus or, or, one of the trade shows there and oh, we're sure. showing okay. showing the furniture in one of the big tents out there at the sign park and the only fabric john felt was acceptable to put on the the furniture for the display was black uh sunbrella canvas and the black was very chic but when you sat on it or you felt the fabric it was very crisp and stiff and it got crazing lines in it when when they'd fold it to to bend it to sew it and then they could you couldn't get those lines out so it was a pretty display but it was very simple and certainly wasn't the luxury of the fabric that 
went along with the beautiful furniture frames that John had created. So that started David thinking, we need to do something better. And of course, John was all about that too. That was actually before we got married and uh, that we went to that show. And so when we got married and I was going to move to Dallas, I said, now, what am I going to do? Because I've been following you around doing these uh, trade shows and and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just follow you around. He said, well, I think I can come up with something. I have an idea. So in 1996, we sat down at a table and we said, if we wanted to do a fabric collection, what would we name it? And we came up with a lot of names and perennials is the one that we decided made the most sense. And then we said, and I said, you know, well, I'll do it, but I'm going to go 50, 50. I'm only going to, I'll only do it if I'm an equal partner. And he said, good for you. (laughs) Yes. Well, it was a big mistake, Dennis, because I should have said 51%. (laughs) You should have said you were in control. (laughs) You were the majority shareholder. So, so all through this relationship, I've been a 50, 50 partner, but I still struggle for control. (laughs) Has, has, it, has it felt like it was 50-50, and Really, you can tell me. Uh, yes, it has, really. I mean, we, you know, sometimes we get into struggle on who's yeah. going to do what and who's going to yeah. be right, and we have to agree because we're 50-50. So it, he swears he'll never sell me the 1% unless it's really <laughs> expensive. So anyway, we, yeah, it was, it's been really fun, and, you know, we well, learned how would- to work together. It was, it was such an interesting time because as, as you were describing earlier, you, you had the incredible John Hutton working with you and and you and David and, and John were were sort of redefining the outdoor furniture category at the at the time, really creating a, a category around that. Tell me about how you sort of got started in, in trying to sort of create a, a better outdoor fabric. Well, we knew that it had to be solution dyed acrylic based on our experience with uh, Sumbrella and knowing what they did and uh, and the hand that we wanted to experience. Uh, we weren't sure it would be any different, really, when we started. <clears throat> but we wrote down on our first purchase order, solution dyed acrylic. And at that point, um, we had worked up what we wanted it to look like, but we really didn't have a true grasp on what it was going to feel like. And um, David had a friend that he said, I know I can get us started in this business because he does work down in Mexico. He can help us find a mill and we can start weaving and we can do whatever we want to. So we started with this person and it, it looked like it was going to go pretty good um, in the beginning. And we got some samples back and, and they did indeed feel great. And we were astonished and we thought, what's, what's the difference here? But he, you know, assured us that everything was fine and this is, this is it. And we said, well, this is great. Let's go. So we did our first order and submitted the order 60,000, uh, 60,000 yards. yards. Yes. Wow. Okay. So this is a Um, a big order to start. Okay. Big order. Cause we did, John wanted three patterns and then he wanted, then we added some solids and we added some bigger stripes, just, commercial stripes that, you know, were too boring for John, but they, we knew they would sell. And we had, I think we had seven colorways and they were all kind of dirty and muted and garden-like. And 
something that was not seen in the market. And so we were very proud of that. And then David had also made the deal with Dongia because we represented Dongia and we were friends with the management of Dongia to be represented in all the Dongia showrooms, which was brilliant on David's part because we had instant distribution over the whole United States, which most young, small companies never get that chance. So that was just amazing. We were so proud of ourselves. And then about six <laughs> and weeks... And then the fabric <laughs> arrived. Then the, well, it arrived and I shipped it. And, the, yeah. you know, the designers were very excited to have something different. And yeah. they put it on their furniture. And then about six weeks later, I get the calls and they says, this fabric is fading. <laughs> what are you going to do? And I'm fading. I'm, I'm like, why is it fading? It's solution to acrylic. And so we go back to the guy that's helping us and he's under a contract with us. And he says, Oh yeah, send me some more money and I'll get it right this time. And we're like, what, you know, why uh -huh. isn't it right? Well, it's acrylic, but he was dying the acrylic. He was bat dying everything. He totally scammed us. And so then that started the, the pain and the crying. And, um, and yeah. for two years, we, well, we continued to try to get him to go, get it right, but he just, he didn't, he never knew how to get the source. He didn't know how to get solution out acrylic. So he was just kind of scamming us. And um, so I had to immediately start trying to figure out how to source solution out acrylic and re replicate what we had created uh, with it. In the meantime, I was doing that. We had to have a lawsuit with him because he'd taken a lot of my money and delivered goods that were not uh, to spec. And I needed the money back so I could build the company. <laughs> so I could try it with somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> right. Of course. So two years later, we finally got to court and we were uh, two awarded. Two years later. Right. So anyway, but the main goal for that was a, to find the real source of solution out acrylic and, and be able to use it, plug it in. And, and then in the meantime, keep our clients happy so that when we got it right, they would come back to us. So we were right. replacing orders while we were trying to do all this. And as I told you uh, earlier, uh, Mark Michaels was one of my first clients in Florida. And uh, we can very clearly remember him saying, well, when you get it right, let me know because I really love it. Because <laughs> I'm going to be a big customer. I got a big design business here That's in Florida right. and uh, a lot of outdoor fabric. Exactly. So we, uh, we kept him happy and he's been a good client from, from day one. So you, in the beginning, you just kept replacing his orders. We did. We did. Yeah. I mean, and we had to pay for the labor and everything else because, you know, he didn't, it wasn't his fault that it no, faded. Of course. So of course. we didn't want anybody to be mad at us. And being in the industry, we knew that your reputation is everything. So it didn't matter uh, how much money we had to spend to do that. If we right. lo lose our clients and we lose their trust, then we, we have nothing. So uh, after the initial the lawsuit and getting through that and getting out of the contract, then we were able to move ahead and put our money where it really meant something. And we got the supply chain set up. It's not an easy business to get into. And we were, thank goodness I was born on St. Patrick's Day because we were very lucky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everything just happened just kind of right. And nobody else was doing it. So it was very weird because we were the only people out there other than Sunbrella trying to be in that business and we we got through so uh we're in the club now there's kind of a little clique of people that buy sda and use it and 
little perennials worm their way in the door and we're so now we're in so uh that's what started and then the momentum just started going forward and the furniture was carrying it of course and then to our surprise as we came out with new collections uh, we we heard that designers were not just using it outdoors they started using it inside and that was a complete shock to us because we weren't marketing it that way. We were always saying outdoor fabric, but the designers are smarter than we are. They went, well, if it's good for outdoors, it must be better for indoors. And they started doing that. I so, I so want to talk about that, Anne, because that, that was such a, a, such a huge shift and suddenly became an enormous part of your business. When did that start to actually happen, where the designers started to share with you that they were bringing that outdoor fabric indoors? I think it was probably around 2005 or something, and I know we, we dropped saying outdoor fabrics and we started putting performance fabrics mm, underneath okay. our our name and because we would hear that they were making window shades out of it or they were using it in the kitchen on the banquettes and that's when we started thinking well we should do these fabrics less like an outdoor fabric which was always we were always their goal for an outdoor fabric was to be easily cleaned to dry quickly and to be uh, rather innocuous. We, did, we weren't doing bright colors and we weren't doing big patterns. We were just doing very quiet kind of things. Bright colors were what Sunbrella did, so we didn't want to do those. And our duller, more interior-looking colors actually then attracted the designers to use those inside. And uh, our big kind of breakthrough was the year that we actually developed our own product development team in-house where uh, before I, I didn't really get to know what, what a fabric was going to look like until I got it back from the mill. I would send them kind of an idea and I didn't know how to write a spec or anything. I, I had no textile background. So it was really tough for me to communicate. And I hired a a woman and we bought a tiny little hand loom and she sat there and started weaving things. And I would take her a piece of fabric and say, can you weave something like this? And she would do it. And she pulled one off the loom one day. We were doing, trying to do a Japanese look collection and she pulled it off. And I said, wow, that, that looks a lot more like a linen. And um, we decided to name it Ishi, which means rough. And that was the beginning of our interior looking fabrics because it was a texture, it was soft, it was pliable, and it looked more like a true linen. And from that point, then we really focused on it. And uh, the next one was rough and rowdy. And, and we kept that word rough because we wanted to communicate the texture of it. And we like playful names. And I don't know, we were standing around, what can we name this? And all I could think of was uh, the old Rawhide movie <laughs> <laughs> and Rowdy on the horse. And this was rough. And, you know, it was, it yeah. was just a weird connection. And uh, we, we came up with Rough and Rowdy. And that's our kind of the goose that laid the golden egg for us because it's, it's really taken us uh, into the interiors in a solid way. Now we're learning how to make even thicker and heavier, more complicated textures and weave structures. And we've created specialty yarns that change everything like chenilles and boucles and slubbed yarns. And 
uh, we're much more like an interior mill now because we have a variety of yarns and a variety of colors. And when we ply things together, we can get new colorations. And well, we're very as you, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so interesting because you really changed, as you've just been describing, you, you really changed the hand, you changed the look and the feel, and you changed the perception of what that performance fabric could look like and feel like and therefore all of the applications for which it could be used. And and that must have just been a period of sort of explosive growth for you once so many designers started to use it. I've I've interviewed so many designers who who describe for me that 50, 60, sometimes 70% of the fabric that they're buying these days is a performance fabric. So I mean, that just must have been a, a massive growth period for you. You know, I mean, the interior design trade is, I wouldn't say it's explosive. It's a very slow, kind of pragmatic business. <laughs> Nothing in our industry really moves that quickly. Right. And But what did explode was the word performance. Um, everybody changed to saying we're doing performance fabric. Now there's a yes. lot of different performance fabrics. And that's where we kind of draw the line in the sand and say, if, don't step over here unless you do all solution at acrylic, because if you say you've got performance and you're doing polyester, it's not going to perform the same way as solution at acrylic. Now, it could perform differently and better than cotton or linen or wool or silk, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's the best. And we think that solution at acrylic is the best for the items that we started for because of fading. Fading was our big deal. And we did not want anything to fade, and we wanted it to last you know, five years or beyond. And nothing else would do that. So that's why we stuck with Solution Out Acrylic. But what came of that was also the cleanability of it, because you can clean it with bleach and the color doesn't go away. And many of the other fabrics that are performance are, at least now in the market, are with a finish on them. But their underlying fabric could be cotton that's dyed. And then they put a heavy finish on it. And maybe it's not as heavy as it used to be. Maybe the finishes have improved. Mm. But it still uh, isn't the same as if if I had a fabric, my fabric was out and had no finish on it, it would still perform the same as if it had the finish. Cottons and linens who you put a topical finish on well, wouldn't be able to do that. And linen, uh, nylons and polyesters don't feel the same way. They don't feel like linen and cotton. Yes, they get, maybe you can get the, the germ protection or that type of thing. There's all sure. sorts of reasons you use a fabric. And of course, in hospitality, everybody wants a high double rub. And that's the one spot that solution out acrylic is a little more sensitive. Uh, if the yarn isn't twisted just right or the weave is too too open or too textured, uh, you you won't get a high double rub. And everybody wants, now they want more and more and more. They want 100,000 double rubs. Nobody ever sits on a chair that long. E- exactly. Even though they really don't understand what that that's means, right? right? Or, or, or the demands that that would imply are going to be put on that fabric. That's right. And, and you know, it's somebody got in there and said, oh, mine's 100,000, so it must be better than theirs, right. which is 50,000. And nobody right. questions yes. that. Yes. 
Yes. So yes. we fight that battle a lot, but I'm sure. I think there's a lot of people that understand that sometimes you've got to have it look good and you've got to feel good or nobody cares anyway. So, well, but so, so and they replace point, it sooner anyway. They don't even it, it, wait that long to replace right. it. Yeah. Well, so I mean, to your earlier point about the, the sort of the explosion in, in performance fabric, what, what, what caused that? What led to performance fabric suddenly being so important to people? Are people spilling so much red wine all over the place? I mean, what, what's Absolutely. going on? <laughs> well, I know we do. <laughs> Speaking for yourself, yes, exactly. yes, that is a problem. And I have four dogs and I've got a puppy right now. And so I bless, uh, you know, I'm counting my lucky stars at not all of my rugs are wool because I, if he has an accident on my perennials rug, I go, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. We can clean that up. But you know, if he's on my wool Navajo rug that I'm looking at right now, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> going to be ruined. So, you know, it's our lifestyles and especially now with COVID we're, we're using our homes differently. We live in our homes. We use our homes back when we were kids. I'm not going to speak for you, Dennis, but when I was a kid, <laughs> people were still putting plastic on their lampshades and, and you oh. know, runners on their carpet so that you wouldn't ruin it because it, everybody spent so much money to try to have something nice and they came out of the re- depression and, you know, they, they didn't want to they didn't want to ruin anything so they wouldn't live on it. Now we all live in our spaces and we we want them to be comfortable and casual. And I, I just think, you know, they can be beautiful, but the whole design world has changed. And of course, silk is not as easy to get as it used to be. And it's very expensive and it's not durable in many ways. You know, light will destroy it. And uh, if you spill on it, it's very difficult to clean it. And wools and linens are gorgeous. I still have a hard time not wanting to have a, a linen or a wool mohair but the practicality of life yes the practicality of life is such that you need to be able to clean it and you don't want to replace it all no no of of course you mentioned earlier being in this rather exclusive club the the sda club as you referred to it the, the the solution diet acrylic club how is it that you think you got such a strong foothold when there were much bigger players already there. How do you think you all crept in and took (laughs) such a big share of the market in the way that you did? Well, definitely creeping was the way to do it. You just kind of (laughs) crawl, crawl and creep along and you kind of get in, uh, figure out where the holes are. Uh, because there really was only one big player, uh, Sumbrella. There, there's some European companies, and Solution Night Acrylic's been used on uh, convertible tops for a long time. So the auto industry was using it for that reason. Uh, the awning industry in Europe was big, and the marine. So they were all interested in that, and that was where they made their money. That's where they had their distribution. And they, they weren't really looking at this part of the industry. And again, it's not, a, it's not a huge segment of the market. So it probably wasn't even important to them at the time. And when we just focused on our little industry of interior designers and architects and hospitality in, in some ways, it, it just, you know, they didn't see it coming. And right. so they didn't care. 
And as far as how did we get in, I, it was dumb luck, really. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I, there was a fiber producer in Pensacola, Florida, and I just got on a plane and went over there and started talking to him and it's a bunch of guys and, you know, it's all technical. And I just said, I really need this fiber and this is my business. This is what I've been doing. And I've, these are my fabrics that I've been trying to make that should be solution out acrylic. And they needed some business. And everybody likes the idea that they're not owned by one account. So you don't have the Walmart thing where the only person you get to sell to, it's one big account. You mm -hmm. can't make a business like that because you're susceptible to whatever they want and not to what your business needs. So everybody wanted another account in Solution Acrylic to sell to. They said, well, you know, we got all this capacity. We've got you've got money. So, okay, we'll sell you some. And I took anything they would give me. I mean, if they said, you've got to buy 50,000 pounds, I said, okay, I'll buy it. You know, I mean, cause that's the only way I could do it. I didn't have any, <laughs> I didn't have any uh, bargaining power at that point. So I, they could charge me whatever they wanted to charge me. And I said, okay, that's great. I'll, I'll pay you. And, and so they liked me for that because I was willing to give them what they wanted and, and I got what I wanted. So I don't want to give away our business secrets, but, you know, it was dumb luck, really. And timing was great because there weren't that many people doing it. And, um, and in fact, that fiber producer went out of business and I had to find another one. Um, it's been a it's been a ride. It's been like the, <laughs> the, the Texas. Uh, what do they call it? The big Tex roller coaster out at Six Flags. It's it's been an up it's, and down. It's felt deal. like that for you. It's yes. felt like a roller coaster. Ride absolutely, for you. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because from the, out, the yeah, well, see, from the outside, it just looked like the the business just took off and and has been soaring ever since. But but it sounds like there were there were lots of fits and starts along the way, and as you've mentioned earlier, sort of keeping that keeping that supply of acrylic turned out to be challenging. Yes, it, it has been, but it's, we've been, uh, we've just, you know, gone along and made it happen and don't get discouraged. Keep trying. Don't ever give up. <laughs> We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about High Point Market's plans for the fall. High Point Market Authority has been very busy these past few months, working with building owners and exhibitors to develop plans and implement protocols for a safer fall market. The multi-million dollar collaborative effort includes extending market from five days to nine, increased cleaning and disinfecting, limiting capacity within each space, and monitoring staff health. And rest assured that they're committed to doing everything they can to protect attendees. For full details on Market Authority efforts, please visit highpointmarket.org slash HPMKT safe. And now... Back to the show. At, at what point did the relationship with restoration hardware come into your world? How did how did that get started? Is there sort of a a Gary Friedman moment in the, in your in your past that you can share with us? Well, I think the Gary Friedman moment was when uh, we got an order for Sutherland, and it was a custom order. And we had a, a collection from John called the uh, Reeded Collection. It was our bestseller at the time. And Gary 
through his people. I don't know that anybody knew Gary at the moment, but mm-hmm. uh, we got an order and it said, we want the read it, but we don't want any read it on it. We just want it plain. And so our custom people said, okay, we can do that. So we, it was a nice order and we sent it off to the factory and had it come in and delivered it. Then I think Gary's house got published somewhere, or maybe it was the first catalog that we saw his outdoor furniture being shown in. And we went, wait, that's our furniture. <laughs> and oh, by the way, he's not buying that from us. He, or he bought- a remarkable facsimile of exactly, your furniture. Exactly. And, yeah. and it, it was, he, he prototyped his custom furniture with us is basically what happened. And it was very influenced by our redid collection, of course, because the, prof- the, the, the profile was all the same. We just took the read it off, but then that changed it and that made it Gary's furniture. So we were, you know, David's a little hostile about that. He was like, well, that's our furniture in that catalog. Well, nothing happened, but then we got a phone call and it was somebody from restoration hardware. And they said, we would like to come talk to perennials. We said, Oh, Oh really? Okay. So we set up a meeting and they show up and they have about, six people with him, but not Gary. He's not, Gary's not there. And David said, well, I want to be in this meeting. And I said, now, now just simmer down. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're, we're talking about fabric now. And he said, yeah, but I want to talk about my furniture. And I said, well, let's see what happens. So we, we were all gathered around the table and David and I are at one end together. And, you know, that we start the meeting, get introductions. And then they say, well, let's, we want to talk about buying perennials. And David said, now, wait just a minute. I want to talk about why are you knocking <laughs> off my furniture? And I'm like kicking him going, David, stop it. And uh, so the guy says, um, well, I didn't do that. And he said, and we own the originals. And David said, well, it's because I made the originals for you. That's why you own it. Uh, so anyway, we got that all passed and agreed that it'd be better to have business together than to not. And that's how David ended up getting his designs submitted into the catalogs as well. So it works, it worked to all of our benefit. It's just, it was a little bit of a rough beginning, (laughs) just kind of like starting perennials, but, uh, we worked through the, the issues and decided that, that they could buy our fabrics and we would also license uh, furniture designs to them in the future as we, as we could come up with things that they, they liked. And some of them were John Hutton designs, which was great. So there were some, there were some heated discussions early on. A but, little bit. But yeah. Bit, just a yes. little short, yeah. you know, <laughs> sure. he just wanted to make sure, sure. they understood that knocking yes. off isn't acceptable in our industry. And I know and, that David can be very firm in his <laughs> delivery. I've, I've been on the other end of David <laughs> being firm. So I, I, I can he, imagine what went on. He, he can be a little scary, but you know, he a little, he, little. Uh-huh, just a little. <laughs> and you know, I I have to hand it to RH. They they got into some jams early on, and they learned their lesson. And then they started hiring designers and and getting you know real designs that were created for them. So well, and and wasn't that so interesting that they tried to mass produce it? and yes. discovered their own problems, right? right? Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. everybody's learned a lot sure. through these years. And again, as you said, you seem to be an overnight success. And 
it usually takes about 20 years to be an overnight success. So. <laughs> Is that what you found about 20 years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, but, but in the, in the end, they, they wanted perennials. Oh, yes. They, right? they, they felt like, and they wanted our brand too, because by yes. then our brand was important to designers. And that set the, our fabric above everybody else because they, when they knew the brand, then they knew what it, it just automatically meant that it was better, nicer, and, you know, they could count on us. And so Gary's been terrific to uh, brand us and talk about our brand. And frankly, when we first thought, after we had the meeting, we went back and talked about it because we didn't immediately say yes. We said, we have to think about this because it was scary to go into that retail market. And we knew that designers might be upset about it and they would be mad at us as a brand to sell sure. into both markets. Sure. And, um, but the way it worked out is we told RH, we said, yeah, we would like to work with you. Um, we want you to use our brand because we thought, well, that's going to be just great advertising for us. And if nothing else, that's what it would be great advertising, but retail operates differently. And so Gary had his own palette and we did exclusive uh, colorations for him and he had his own thing going. And so the, the retail customer sees one thing and the designer that comes to our showroom sees something else. So it's a completely different way of looking at the fabrics and using the fabrics and what you put them on. And, and his is a package deal where you, you do, you get to see, here's the sofa I want. And now, now I can look at it in dark gray or I can look at it in white. And he's got, you know, 20 different colors and that's it. That's all your choice is. And it works very well because he he's editing and curating his collection and we're letting designers do that from our collection. We, we don't tell them how to use it. They get to do it any way they want to. So I think it's a big difference and it changes. I think the aspect of if you don't want a designer, then you go to somebody that's done this curation. If you want a designer, then the, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to. Uh, so it's two different mindsets. Well, it, it, it's interesting, Anne, because so often when we talk to the heads of major fabric houses, they say to me, Dennis, this is going to be forever a to-the-trade business, that in America, the retail consumer just can't get their head around using fabric or specifying fabric by the yard. And you could be down on the street and it still wouldn't matter because you need a designer in that process. Is that what you think? I think it is very much like that when you're doing by the yard. Uh, I know there's a couple of little companies around the the U.S. that sell by the yard and and people that sew know how to, to make something happen. But there's hardly any woman left in the world. I'm That'll make a lot of women mad if I say yeah, that. Yeah, let's, let's, let's just say, back that up, Anne. Let's, let's, let's say <laughs> <laughs> I used to sew. I used to make clothes for myself, yes. but I don't sew anymore. I mean, it's very hard to, unless you're a professional seamstress, that you're going to go sit down at your own machine and sew some drapery. You know, it's just, there's too many other ways to get drapery now and it's a specialty. And um, so I think that most people that don't want to hire a designer or, or they still want access and they want to buy things, but it needs to be easy for them. So 
uh, if you want to sh- window coverings, you go to the shade store, you go to RH who has pre-made things or they do custom, but they know how to do that. And I think the trade is always going to be there. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And they're going to do special things and they're going to need special products. They have to look different. It can't look like they just got picked out of a catalog, of an RH catalog. It can't just look like the neighbor's stuff. So uh, people that are discerning and can afford it will we'll use a designer and they're busy people and they don't have time. They want to they walk into their new house and it's all done. And they don't want to take years to, to make it happen. And But now RH is offering interior design services too. So everybody's blending. It's all blending. I think it's going to continue, but we've got to all work together. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear more about Paint Zen. Designers, there's no need to spend hours digging up a great painter or wallpaper installer. Paint Zen has done it for you. With a national network of experienced, vetted professionals and a dedicated project manager for every job, Paint Zen makes it easy. Even in these challenging times, Paint Zen is open for service, ensuring that customers, painters, and partners are staying safe by following local guidelines. You can get a quote, not just an estimate, remotely. And book now, schedule later, for maximum flexibility. Best of all, designers earn 10% back on book projects. Visit paintzen.com to find out just how easy painting can be. That's paintzen.com. And now, back to the show. Part of the part of the reason that I was eager to to reach out to you recently was R. R. Haley did a a story on Business of Home about the launch of the new e-commerce website for perennials. I wanted to sort of get your take on whether our industry is is ready for that that e-commerce leap. Regarding websites, we we've had one for a long time, and just. Really, two years ago, we realized that we were way behind. I mean, we we just had pictures and we didn't really have function behind the scene. Everybody else was doing Shopify and shopping carts and in the in the retail world. And we realized too that we needed more functions that were interactive with our customers. So we started about two years ago trying to rebuild. Well, we did do the Sutherland site, but we didn't really have any techie people, I would say, in our marketing department. And we, (laughs) (laughs) so it kind of fell on my shoulders and I am definitely not techie. So we, we hired this firm to do the Sutherland side and it, it looked pretty, but as a projects go, it took longer than we expected. It cost more than we expected. And then we got to the end and it didn't do all the things that we wanted it to do. But the next site to go after was the perennial site. And the object of and the goal of that uh, website was not only to have a pretty face and beautiful pictures, but to interact with our customers and have a login for our customers. So this is, it's to the public, except for that there's a login for clients. And once you get into the login side, then you could actually see possibly pricing and you could see inventory levels and you could actually place an order. And we have just, after many, many months of custom building this thing, opened it up to our whole client base. And we've already been successful in getting uh, a few, you know, very small amount because we just did it. 
uh, of orders online, which is wonderful because now with the COVID and everybody working from home, they can't go into the showrooms. Uh, our people are spread out all over. If it comes in from the website, we can immediately handle that. That's what I'm. That's what I'm curious about. We we were recently having a conversation with one of your showroom partners, actually, Stefan Silverman from Castell, right? And and we were talking about his website and sort of his notion that perhaps the trade isn't ready to sort of fully order fabric online yet, but they want the ability to, as you were saying, check prices, check inventory. You're finding that that maybe maybe they are ready to to actually place orders for yards of, of fabric. And, and in fact, it sounds like, like they have, at least in, in small numbers so far. Absolutely, they're going to do it. Uh, there's no doubt that they're going to do it. I'm, everybody's sitting at home ordering on Amazon, and you can see what their stock's doing. Uh, this is going to happen, and this is the way of the future as far as we're concerned. Uh, we don't have furniture ready to go online yet because it's a much more complicated order, but uh, definitely fabric should uh, should go easily. And th- that way, people that shop at night, people, our international clients can shop and immediately know that they've got an order placed and it's coming toward them uh, without waiting another eight to 10 hours to find out if there's something, you know, a problem with the order. And uh, we built ours. We had to do some custom building because we have Navision as our accounting system. And then we have also implemented Salesforce in our um, sales team um database and that all connects now so it's going to give us uh, it's going to give us a lot of data that we can work with and do uh, you know targeted marketing and uh, so many things that the retailers are doing and the trade hasn't really figured out how to do that and i think it's going to be very important for us to to stay up with that and our computers are and our phones are so much part of our lives now there's no way we could go on with business without in- integrating this into our business. Well, I'm really excited to hear you say this because I, I completely agree. And-, and I think that sometimes, as I say, we we sort of g- go softly into this discussion around technology and-, and what everybody else is doing in the retail world. But when we bring it to the trade, we say, oh, you know, designers aren't aren't sort of fully ready for this for whatever reason. And of course they're ready, and and as you say, they're they're buying on Amazon. They're buying everything else on their phones, and it, it seems like they they are going to to want this. And so it, I think it's great that you're that you're building out the technology and and making it possible. You're also leading people to the showrooms, and you and you certainly on the website make it very clear. Here's how to find the showroom near you if that's a more comfortable experience for the designer, but they can actually go all the way through the process on your site, correct? Right. And and I think that is, again, another learning that you can't be just in one platform or one segment of the market. You have to, you have to support all those things. So we're not going to substitute the internet for our showrooms. We're still going to have showrooms because sure. in a luxury product, you have to prove that you are a high high end brand. You have to show your quality. So there have to, has to be physical locations. So the service, the quality, the convenience are all those factors that we can't avoid anymore. It just can't be hard and it can't be hidden. It used to be a hidden industry that a lot of people didn't even know existed because the designers did not want anybody to know about it. But now 
branding is so important in the market. If you don't support your brand in as many ways as possible and and have people know about your brand, you're you're probably not going to get as you know as far as you'd like to go in the market. Well, I, I, as as you think about sort of the, the the next few years for the for the company and 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 for you, what are what are you imagining, Anne? Where do you, where do you want to go with all of this? Well, we have a we have a big uh, goal to continue our international quest. We we still like to to get some bridges over there. And of course we have our uh, flagship London showroom in the Chelsea Harbor. And we actually have two spaces in the Harbor and one is kind of a small little fabric boutique. And the other one has the furniture and fabric in it and rugs, but um, we're doing quite well and we love our sales staff there. And uh, the economy is still, there, there's lots of great projects in Europe and especially in England, and all the good designers go through London. It's a beautiful city. I'm in love with London now, and uh, so we we're we're nourishing that one, and and then we have a little. We want to have a small satellite showroom in Munich. We just are coming out of a lease there, so we're looking for a new location, and we're looking for a location in Milan. So. We have people in all those locations already working, and we just need to establish the storefront in some of those. And uh, then we have reps all over Europe, and we just are trying to refine our relationships with the, the best people and get, get sales going over there. So we would like to mirror the, the dollar amount in our international sales to our domestic sales. Uh, many, many companies um, actually have more sales out of the U.S. total than they do in the U.S. But the U.S. market is still the biggest one market that you can hit and certainly the easiest to sell into. I mean, because there's so much more continuity here and, um, you know, less less things to worry about, like barriers of language and and currency and shipping problems and all those things. But uh, our fabric should be able to be used anywhere in the world. We still try to hit the the yacht business that we would like to be, become a bigger player in the, the super yacht business. And that's always a fun show at the Monaco yacht show. And we, I'm, I'm sure anytime you want to invite me to that, I'm available. <laughs> well, if it were going on, you'd be invited, but they canceled <laughs> this year. So hopefully next year you're invited. <laughs> well, I, I will look for that invitation. Uh, I, you know, your friend Gary Freeman at RH seems to think that Europe is such a huge opportunity. Uh, he does. So, yeah. He's already yes. committed to Paris and, uh, and London. Yes. I, I think his first, English thing that is going to be out of London is going to be out in the countryside, which sounds like a wonderful experiment. We'll see how well that goes. But, you know, you build it and they come. It, it works. So Gary's got big plans. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to be as big as Gary, but in our little world, we'd, we'd like to you know double, triple our business and offer more to more people in different ways. I mean, we, we wouldn't mind being... Uh, maybe more to the public in some way, but furniture, in fact, like we talked about, fabric by the yard isn't for the normal person. They, they don't have any way to deal with it. So it has to end up on a finished product. So we've got a lot of angles that we're thinking about is where we have finished products. We already do some of our own cut and sew for pillows and, and cushions, of course. 
So there's there's an opportunity there to to make uh, accessories and that type of thing that we could sell directly to the uh, public, and um, and then still work with designers on the other side. Well, that that seems to be the the missing link is that workroom component, or to your point, those those sewers. Well, we we yeah no it is, and and we are already doing it. We have we have always had a small very customized uh, cut and sew here in Dallas because we started doing all our samples here in Dallas with our own team. And and then once we opened our mill in Mexico, we said, well, we could have it down there and we could get, we have a lot more space and we can hire people because there's lots of people down there that know how to sew. And so we opened a cut and sew down there and now we're selling in product pillows, not only to Restoration Hardware, but to Serena and Lily. We're, we've made pet beds. Um, we've, we are making our own cushions, of course, for our furniture and, and cushion cover. I mean, furniture covers, and those are being done in Mexico now. So there, we have already got that established. When COVID hit, uh, we started making masks for but all markets. We were making masks, Dallas, Mexico and India, and we haven't even talked about the rugs yet. So I got to go to that as soon as possible well, because that's well, such a exactly. big thing. Well, and so, that is our future. Yeah. Well, it's so exactly. So I mean, uh, you, as as you know, our our future of home conference is coming up, and we and we so enjoyed having David at at last year's conference, and we're and we're excited about this. And when when you think about the future of home, it sounds like uh, an unimportant part. Is uh, is the expansion of what perennials can can do, which which segues into the into the rug business? Yes, 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 yes. I mean, it's our big winner, really, and we're so happy that we went ahead and got it started uh, a year ago. I mean, in a big way, in a year ago, we made a, the big commitment last year. Uh, we've been in India now for a year. This is our anniversary. We've already gotten through phase one, phase two, and now we're working on phase three, which is a, a building a 100,000 square foot building um, near the first one that we are already in. And we're doing, uh, we started with flat woven rugs several years back, maybe, I don't know, 2014, maybe. I don't remember. It was called our Rodeo Drive collection. And uh, we did flat wovens and we started those in Mexico because we found a small village down there that could do we could ask them to do the flat woven qualities and they're quite nice, but we're talking about a very small village and every, every man has his loom on his porch and he can only do one rug every, you know, I don't know, three months or something because he's the only person weaving and he only weaves when he, he gets a chance. Um, and we had to expand. We started seeing that there was success there. So once we decided to commit ourselves to India, then we started doing Tibetan knot and Persian knot and uh, the flat wovens. And it's opened up a whole new world. Our rugs are gorgeous. They're highly practical. It's and and we do custom rugs, so every designer can do anything they dream of. You cannot believe some of these dreams, but. It's just amazing. And for centuries, you know, they've been making rugs in India, so there's no reason that they can't make them out of our yarns. But it's been quite the one of those 
it, it, it was not nearly as painful as starting perennials. I'll tell you that because it happened so fast. We just said, that's it. We're going to do it. And we're just we, going to do it. We just got, we're, we're, we're doing it. And that's a big future for us because we are definitely leading that pack. Now we know there's some competitors coming into the market, but I think we're so far ahead of everybody. And these could be the rugs of the future too. I mean, there, there'll be more people doing them, but we think we're going to be the best. Well, so Anne, when when David and I were last talking about this, he lit up when he started to talk about the potential for the rug business. What is it that makes rugs such a good business? Do they do they have a great margin? Are they just sort of easier for you to produce than the the fabrics? I mean, what is it that makes this business so appealing? There is just such a great opportunity in interior design to use this kind of a new look at the uh, performance product and, and apply it into your projects. And they've never had that before. I mean, we virtually were the first people to really commit and bring this kind of product into the market. And, you know, now everybody's like, Oh, well, this is great. Why weren't we doing it? You know, it's kind of like uh, inventing the paperclip. It's it was, it seemed like it was really easy, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's not easy because these are all hand done. I mean, men sit, for eight hours a day, tying knots and, and trimming knots, and it's artistic. They have to read a pattern, but they still have to have an art quality to their to the work. And I mean, I'd love to take you over there because it's just a beautiful place, and the and the people are so sweet, and and we pay them well, and they're not paid by the piece; they're paid by the hour, and they make solid wages, and they can take care of their families that way, and you know, and they had the craft there and it's, it's just delightful, really. Uh, I mean, I totally broke down and cried when I went for our inauguration because it was just, it was so overwhelming. It was just great. Well, post COVID first, we're going to Monaco for the yacht show and then we're going over to India to to go see the rugs. Okay. Perfect time. Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. I, I can't wait. And thank you so much for spending this time with us. I, I really appreciate it, and I've enjoyed it tremendously. Well, I have too. Thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate your publication and your podcast, The Business of Home, and, and, the, and the seminars that you're putting on, because I think it really brings the trade together and gives us strength to talk about what our challenges are and why we're relevant. And we are. I mean, this is... This is a service and it's a it's a it's an artistic endeavor and not everybody can do it. And it's not easy. It's not easy by any means. So I think uh, educating people on what we do and how we do it and what we bring to the to the home and to the offices and to our world is just it, it plays hand in hand with architecture because you can have a beautiful architectural building. But if you don't furnish it right, and you don't treat it right with uh, all the accessories that it needs and the colors and the warmth, if you don't warm it up, it's just not, it's not the same. So uh, I think your, your efforts have been great in clarifying what we are doing and bringing people together uh, one way or the other. And I hope you get <laughs> to have another conference in New York at some point or, or do it down here in Texas. Bring it down here. Well, and you know we're having Kip Spay down here this year too. So maybe Texas will get some events, and we can. I know. Get together down here. 
Well, I, I would love that, and I, okay. and I look forward to being able to come down there. And I, and I thank you for your, for your kind words about Business of Home. We, we very much appreciate it. And I, and I appreciate that I've now gotten to interview both David Sutherland and Anne Sutherland. So you're, the first, you're the first husband and wife that I've interviewed individually, so I, I'm, I'm especially grateful to you. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to keep up with the latest news, visit us online at businessofhome.com. An important announcement, the Future of Home Conference is back. Last year's event was a thrilling series of conversations about the issues that matter most in the interior design industry. This year, we're taking the event online. We'll still be live, but the conference will be broadcast directly to you. On September 14th and 15th, join us to hear important discussions with leading thinkers on how the design landscape is being transformed and the challenges and opportunities that have arisen in the midst of a complex time. Tickets are now available, and the attendance is free of charge to BOH insiders. To learn more, visit futureofhome.com. Finally, if you have thoughts or a story of your own to share, please drop us a line at podcast at businessofhome.com. This show was produced by Fred Nicholas and Marina Felix. I'm Dennis Scully. Thanks again. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you next week.